You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Tuesday. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to hop right in. Chicago Sky have a game tonight, so we're going to hit up Chicago Sky beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, Annie Constable, before she gets into game time tonight. We want to talk All-Star, but we also want to talk second half of the season and some of the conversations that have come up because of what went down at All-Star. So, Annie, I mean, looking at this ESPN report, year-over-year, 53% up in ratings for the All-Star game, most viewed since 2015. So many good stories coming out of this weekend, and my personal experience was full of great passion and energy and tons of events and activations. But for the actual everyday fan, a lot of criticisms about what went down in Chicago, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, like you said, a lot of positives were taken away, not just from people attending um, different parties with players and everything, but the players themselves had a great time, but the average fan did not. There just wasn't um, many options for them other than the WNBA live event and the game itself. So those are just two ticketed events to the general public. And when you're talking about a team hosting that's coming off a WNBA championship, the first in league history for the Chicago Sky, you know, it, it definitely to the average fan seems like a missed opportunity. With that being said, Kathy Engelbert, the WNBA commissioner, has never been shy about improving things, right? So what's the process look like to make sure next year the same mistakes aren't made? You know, I I can't speak directly to what Kathy's intentions are because she didn't really say that that there were many in her press conference. You know, she attributed a lot of the, um, the missed fan engagement to potential security threats and from talking to different league executives, you know, I think that the energy is that an event like the three-point contest and the skills challenge, they see there is value in that being ticketed. In the past, you know, that's an event that's taken place at halftime. So now seeing fans engage with the fact that there, it wasn't even ticketed, I think they see that as, as an opportunity to, to create events around that. But, you know, that didn't come from, from Kathy herself. Yeah, Annie, she actually talked about safety concerns, but a mile away from where WNBA Live was, which was the only fan event they had and was outside, was a million-plus people at the Taste of Chicago with performances and concerts, the same sort of stuff that they claimed they were worried about having outside because of safety concerns um, and limited to VIPs and and some of the high school players in town for for tournaments. Um, And even the Chicago police said that there was never any validity to that statement. It feels like it's all trying to catch up after not planning ahead enough. And this is where I think the rubber meets the road for women's leagues. Of course, there's less money to work with, and that makes things harder. But it also is about preparation and planning. And I talked to the Chicago Sports right. Commission. When the NBA All-Star Game was here, they had a press conference in 2017 for a 2020 All-Star. When it was WNBA, right. it was like three months before that they announced it, and that's why they had so much trouble securing locations for ticketed events and offering up opportunities for fans, right? Right, and and you said it. I mean, three months out, we we broke the story that – the WNBA All-Star Game was actually coming to Chicago. That's something that you expect a league of this magnitude to advance or announce years right. in advance. And to that point, you know, the NBA and, and other leagues are very different in that, and that they are planning these things years out. And one explanation I, I got from, you know, uh, an employee in the league is, is that 
it, it takes some convincing in terms of getting getting these cities to host an event. So they're still working to find who is to establish who's going to host the event, which limits how much they can plan in advance. But, you know, an argument to that point is, you know, the WNBA can take it upon themselves to pick a site. They could pick a site that doesn't have a WNBA team and they could start planning from there. So, you know, these, 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 the reasonings are coming off a lot more as excuses than actual valid reasons. And I mean, you pointed to it, the CPD told WTDW, and I was able to confirm that this morning with a CPD spokesperson, they did not advise the WNBA to limit their outdoor events. So that was just, in fact, a blatant lie from the commissioner, which brings into question other explanations that are being given as to why things were limited. So, Annie, with that being said, let's take a look at some of the positives. And the positive that comes out of this, particularly for this show, is that we have a Chicago Sky fan and a Vegas Aces fan. Both of our teams look very good. What do you think the most interesting storyline <laughs> is for the last half of the season here? Okay, for sure the most interesting storyline, in my opinion, is what the heck the Aces do beyond their starting five. They absolutely are a title contending team. We've seen that. They play like a championship team at times. But beyond their starting five, they are so human. And when you compare them to a team like the Chicago Sky that one through 11 can contribute, can put up Mm -hmm. points, can put up numbers, Mm -hmm. it's, it's very hard to see how a team like the Aces could beat the Sky in a series. A game, for sure. Two games even, maybe. But a series, I just, I don't know how how that plays out Preach, actually girl. i mean I, I think it's very clear how it plays out i That's don't right. know that that a, a team like that is going to be able to beat the sky that's right, I a commissioner's cup, that we a commissioner's this. cup, I don't think, I, I and don't like a repeat championship that's what's going to happen oh uh we're God. talking to chicago sometimes <laughs> sky beat reporter annie costable annie there's a couple of announcements around the league that i think people are excited about chartered flights for finals that's something that's been an issue in the league as at least one team tried to do that for its players and it was a violation of the league and you have to question why uh-huh. making travel easier for your players is a violation and obviously there's questions about funding and you know salary cap and all the other things spending that each league a, a member has but they're going to do that for the finals which is great you've got a 40 game season promised for next year that's exciting. Uh-huh. All of these differences, are they enough to potentially convince players to not go overseas? That combined potentially with fears around what happened to Brittany Griner, are we nearing a place where we might be able to have enough money in this league and high enough salaries that the focus will just be on WNBA and not any other leagues? See, I don't think that the WNBA in the next year, in the next two years, three years even, is going to be able to match the salaries that players are getting overseas. And the prioritization rule is going to come into effect, which brings into brings other comments from Kathy Engelbert into question about saying that, you know, WNBA players want to play overseas and, and they don't want to take that away from them. But essentially you are with this prioritization rule. Players are going to have to pick whether they play overseas or they play in the WNBA. And I know for, you know, a player like Courtney Vandersloot, who has played her entire career doing both, she's estimated to me that on average she gets about a month off every Mm. year. And that's Mm. not even four weeks back to back. That's four weeks broken up throughout a year that she takes off of from the game. 
you know, she doesn't want to give up playing overseas. And so in the next few years, I don't see salary being 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 altered to the to the point where players willingly are giving up going overseas. Um, I know that there are, are different different um, bonuses that the players are, are afforded. Certain players are afforded that, you know, plays into players deciding to stay here instead of going overseas. But that's not that's not the common storyline for every player. Hmm. Yeah, there's still so many conversations to be had around this league. There's so much so momentum many. and energy. The passion is there. There's incentive. There's investment. There's so many positives. But every time you end up discussing those, it brings you back around to some of the fundamental core issues that still need to be addressed. And I think some of what came up from Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner this weekend, not to mention some of the last-minute you know, effects of, of having – an all-star game that's not announced earlier um, certainly brings up uh, concerns as well. Annie, thanks so much for the time and enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, Annie. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. You can follow her at Annie Costable, C-O-S-T-A-B-I-L-E. She will be covering the sky tonight as they start their second half and get ready to beat that Aces team definitively and easily <sighs> as Annie laid out. Wow. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, here to help you score big savings. To see how much you can save on auto insurance, visit Progressive.com. Coming up, NBA rumors have taken the media hostage. We'll explain next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Things are getting wild, and I don't mean in either of our lives. I mean things are getting wild in the NBA because every single time you turn around, you get a Woj bomb, right? So this afternoon's daily Woj report brought to you by Woj uh, is that the Utah Jazz, who, remember, not too long ago said that they had no interest in dealing Donovan Mitchell, apparently now are showing a willingness to listen on possible trade scenarios, sources tell Woj. On Tuesday, the asking price, uh, not surprisingly, seems to be astronomical, uh, but they're at least not saying no. They're not immediately saying uh, they're not hanging up the phone right away. They're at least listening to offers, Sarah. I'm a little stunned by it because, frankly, I don't think Utah's a destination place players want to go play in the first place. You may have a player that players would like to play with, so it seems like an opportunity, I don't know, to draw people into a place that NBA, the NBA players don't want to be in in the first place. So doing the opposite, to me, just means you admit that you don't care. You're just not going to spend the money anymore. You're going to suck, and you're going to try and fix it in the draft. Yeah, or that you've decided that Donovan Mitchell is not a guy that you can build around, and so you're going to take that massive haul that you got back for Rudy Gobert, and you're going to presume that the future is where the winning happens. I don't like that, seeing as he's only 25 years old. Um, you know, he's been in, in the Utah system since the beginning. He was drafted by the Nuggets, but was traded on draft night. So he's been a jazz player all along. And to your point, you're not drawing people to Utah by choice. So when you've got a homegrown guy as fantastic as he is, and then you've got all those young pieces that you have, the draft picks and whatever, why not be willing to have him around as you build? Um, this is uh, Andy Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. He's a Utah Jazz beat writer. He was on Freddie Fitzsimmons and talked about you know the likelihood of this actually happening. I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of skeptical about maybe before the season. Uh, you know, I, I think ultimately that there's the teams that are kind of in play for him are also looking at Kevin Durant. Um, and, and, you know, there's just kind of not the uh, urgency here for the Jazz to trade him right away. You know, I, I think ultimately they're going to be waiting for that godfather offer of, of those five first-round picks or of multiple really talented young players back. 
and they haven't gotten that so far. But I, I think it's a conversation that could, you know, go into training camp. It could happen at the trade deadline. And, you know, I, I don't think that Donovan Mitchell's value is going to be very different uh, in February than it is right now. So I think they, they really do want to wait until they get kind of a no-brainer positive offer for him. I, I mean, I get that. You, you have to get a lot back for him. But why are you looking to get something back anyway? You've got a very young star player. Why are you not building around him? If part of the issue was that he and Gobert could never make it work together, then go without him. You know, Bamani Jones was tweeting today exactly what we're thinking about. He posted a 1997 article where, uh, you know, it, it came down to trying to send Derek Harper to Utah, and he said flat out, there was a Utah deal, but you live in Utah. Nothing against Utah or their team, but I don't want to live there. That's literally everyone. Why would you give away someone that came to you and has been, you know, a, a tremendous player? Especially when you start thinking about the reputation that – that organization and the fan, I should say the fans particularly have with a lot of NBA players, like it's already a tough sell, right? So when you factor in the fact that it's a tough sell with the fact that now it's a complete rebuild, it just feels like Utah's a yeah. hell of a lot closer right now to being Sacramento than they are to being relevant if they end up getting rid of Donovan Mitchell. And you're rolling the dice to hope that you can find another Donovan Mitchell. Like what do you, right. what do you think right. is going to make those you, picks you become the guy that you're willing to give up? It's at least a conversation rooted in what we've heard out of the GM there, right? We now know that not only is Wode reporting it, but we heard directly from the GM, uh, Justin Zanuck, that change is inevitable, but, (laughs) you know, Donovan being an important part of their roster doesn't mean that they can't, you know, potentially imagine a world where he goes. On the other hand, this other conversation that's dominated the airwaves today here calling out our own people on every show has been Kevin Durant and the heat. Should they make it happen? What would this mean for his legacy? Everybody's 20 steps ahead just because the heat GM was seen talking to the Nets GM at summer league. Meanwhile, Zach Lowe, who knows the details and the nitty gritty was on get up and said, this is not likely need to play with Bam Adebayo in Miami for them to have a realistic shot to win the title. The Nets would not do a Miami one-for-one trade without Bam Adebayo in the deal. Tyler Hero and three first-round picks and some swaps and some salary, that's not enough to get it done. Bam Adebayo problem number two. He and Ben Simmons can't play together in Brooklyn because of an arcane salary cap rule that we won't even get into. So then you start saying, wait, can we send both Durant and Simmons to Miami and what go, who goes where and Bam goes where? And then your brain starts to break because it just doesn't work for either team. If the Heat can pull this off, I would be surprised. I don't doubt them, but to me, if I'm Kevin Durant and I'm the Miami Heat and we're coming together to try to win the championship, Bam Adebayo has got to be on that team, and I'm just not sure I see a pathway to that happening. Yeah, I mean, logic. <laughs> like, who needs logic yeah. at all in this conversation? But My God, like, I, I heard this morning Greeny say, if you're not listening to the Low Post podcast, you're not really an NBA fan. You need to go there to right. get great information. And all I kept thinking about is Zach Lowe just told all of us the real of it. it it's like, you know, confirmation bias and true crime. It, it, there's so many people that just want the verdict to be a certain way that they've decided they're going to absorb the information only to lead to that verdict. There's just this spot for me where I'm looking at this and saying, y'all, like, NBA trades are so complicated. The first step should be, hey, guys, can this even realistically happen? Then the second step could be, all right, 
like, now can we freak out about it? Yeah, and I get it. There's there's people who are looking for something to talk about, and it does feel like we're on a massive pause right now, waiting for things to happen. And, you know, I think we'll get back to this later in the show because I want to talk about that pause and how it's potentially... I mean, we know it's all circling around KD, but what used to be the belief around the, the lack of movement, which was figuring out where KD was going, now appears to be potentially figuring out if there's a chance KD might stay. And that is what's making it difficult. Do you get rid of Kyrie first if you're worried about what that means for KD's decision to potentially stay? Can you get rid of Kyrie if you don't know yet what pieces you're getting back or losing with Kevin? Um, So I I think that conversation has changed a bit in a way that's really surprising to me. And again, Fitz, what's hard to understand and move forward with right now is how often people are talking about realistic scenarios that they have smart, sophisticated intel informing them on and how often it's just we have three hours to fill. Let's just mess around and talk about some trades that are never going to happen. Well, I think that it's Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And, you know, I, I, that's such a huge part about it. Like one thing that I, I almost laugh about is thinking about how excited I am just to hit next week only because next week is when NFL training camp start. And then at least <laughs> we'll have another distraction because it feels like uh, I think I think we have rookies reporting starting July 19th and 18th for some of these teams. So I just keep looking across the board thinking only got to make it a few more days because right now. Everybody is just sitting here inventing, not everybody, but many shows, many NBA fans are inventing these magical scenarios that make it feel more like I'm reading a weird Reddit thread instead of listening to expertise. It's just, it, it's the wild part of the NBA. And, and I think the craziest part, Sarah, is that if they end up coming back, if, if Katie makes it back to the, the, the Nets, how many people are just going to be disappointed? Right. I mean, and what was the goal? Was there a goal with the trade demand? Was it merely that he was frustrated in that moment and over time he's looked around and the landscape doesn't offer him a situation he likes better? Like, I think that's part of the issue is we don't have a great idea of what's going on in the heads of Kyrie and KD. Which just lets us speculate the whole time. All right, we don't need to speculate about two-a-days. They roll on. The Falcons are up next. We'll talk about them. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And that hot, 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 hot lead-in tells you that we are absolutely ready to break down everything you need to know about the Atlanta Falcons. Scott, you know you know that the team behind the scenes is doing a great uh, job when they even make the Falcons sound like they're going to be good. I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> now that I'm throwing shade everywhere, uh, Harry Douglas, by the way, I have major issues with. Heard him say earlier he thinks the Falcons could sneak out eight or nine wins. I want to party with him. That's all I'm saying. Whatever he's partying with, Sarah, I want. So let's get some other expertise in here. Charles McDonald joining us. You can check him out, Underdog Fantasy, host of the Exemplist Pod. Follow him at 4Verts. Charles, thanks for hanging out with us, man, now that I've totally ruined this introduction by poo-pooing all over the Falcons. Uh, what's your level of ex- expectation this year for the team that you love? Um, Pain, okay. uh, <laughs> as usual. I think that's fair. Uh, Harry, eight, eight or nine wins. Like, what are you talking about? I don't, right. I, I don't, I don't get that at all. I think this team stinks. Uh, I think if you if you look like point differential wise last year, even though they won seven games, they had a, a worse point differential than like the Lions, uh, who picked number two in the draft. Like they were really kind of carried by the veteran presence of Matt Ryan last year. Uh, 
They won like all their one one score games against like the worst teams in the league. Uh, every time they, every time they played, you know, one of these teams that was of quality, they would kind of get not even kind of get blown out. They would get absolutely destroyed. Uh, like they lost to the Cowboys forty three to three. They lost the Patriots twenty five to nothing. But you know, they're standing by the Jets, the Lions with their backup quarterback, the Giants. You know, that's kind of the talent pool that they were in last year. So, yeah, I, I think that there's a scenario where. This team is better than they were last year, but they win fewer games. Uh, just because I think they kind of overachieved in the win column last year, and uh, we're probably closer to like the quality of a, a two to four win team than uh, the seven that they won. But you know, they're the Falcons. They're weird, and I'm sure that no matter how we get to whether it's four wins or eight wins, it's going to be excruciating because that's just kind of <laughs> what this team does. Uh. Bye-bye to Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Dante Fowler, Russell Gage. You got some new folks in, but a lot of questions about them. First of all, are you completely certain about Marcus Mariota being the guy? Is Desmond Ritter possibly fighting for that opportunity? Who do you see starting most of the games? Uh, I think Mariota's going to start most of the games. Uh, whether the Falcons' offensive line gives him a chance to play all 17, uh, we'll see, I think, as the season goes along because, you know, I think that's, if you're if you're really looking at, like, spots where uh, you change some stuff, like, what's one area that can really hurt you? Uh, it's the offensive line because they were probably the worst, not even probably, I, I think pretty comfortably the worst group in the league last year, uh, and they didn't add anybody except for uh, Justin Schaefer, who was a six-round pick out of Georgia. So, you know, I, I think whether it's Mariota or Risman or Ritter, uh, it's going to be a, a tough time for both of them. But I do think that Mariota's going to get the start because, one, you know, he's been in the league longer. Uh, and, two, like, he does have experience playing for Arthur Smith uh, a few years ago when <laughs> he got benched for Ryan Tannehill, and Ryan Tannehill hasn't taken the job back, uh, hasn't dropped the job since then. So, uh, you know, I, I think, to be, to be fair to Mariota, he was dealing with a thumb injury that year right. where, you know, if you have some nerve damage in your throwing thumb, that might make things a little bit difficult for you if you're uh, – an NFL quarterback, but I, I still don't think that this is going to be like some great season for for either if they were for either of them if they were to play. Uh, but I'm going to take Mariota to start more games this season, and hopefully uh, he can finish the entire season because you know he's had a rough go, and maybe this can be a place where he turns around a little bit. So Charles, let me be a beacon of light in a dark, dark world here because I feel like you need a hug through the radio <laughs> on this one. So you know, I needed go... a hug five years ago. <laughs> Every I'll go day the sense. combination of Mariota's familiarity with Ar- Arthur Smith and the fact that not only does Arthur Smith love tight end hybrid sort of players, but so does Marcus throwing. Marcus has been – he's gotten the opportunity in the last year to sort of get his body right. He comes into an offense he knows. How explosive can Kyle Pitts be in this offense in your mind with Marcus as the quarterback maybe giving him some opportunity if he's rolling about there around there to throw the ball? Like the, We could get some points that way. Oh, I mean, honestly, I think Kyle Pitts is talented enough to be one of those guys that goes off to, like, 1,400 to 1,600 yards in the season. Uh, I mean, even, even last year, you, you see it uh, when you watch him, like, run routes. Like, he's still rookie, still, you know, trying to figure things out. And he definitely has, like, some, some learning lessons along the way. Like, I think he saw this first game against Stephon Gilmore. Like, hey, it's not going to be, you know, running past corners for the Jets every week. Uh, but when I watch him play, he, he's – He's one of the most gifted pass catchers that like I've ever seen. It's the it's the body control, the catching, speed, deceleration, all like six six, two forty, and someone who's still growing because I mean he didn't even turn twenty one until you know a quarter way through his rookie season. So this is a guy who's uh, 
it's it, it, it's it's just unbelievable. I think to watch him play, and I think you can make arguments that maybe hey, they should have picked the quarterback last year or four. I thought that they should have taken Justin Fields, but you know, it, it's hard to say that I'm disappointed with what Kyle put Kyle Pitts put together last season because. You know, I, I I struggle to just think of many players in NFL history who have that athleticism. And it's not just like the athleticism to be powerful in a straight line. And like it's the ability to like sink your hips and cut and slow down and also explode right back up to top speed at six six two forty. But that's the kind of stuff that I think puts him in that. I haven't really seen too many players that move like that uh, in that kind of category. And you know, I think you can see he and Ha Ha last year, like some dunk back and stuff happened where he only ended up scoring one touchdown. Uh, and the second touchdown he scored in America was in the Pro Bowl. But uh, I think we're going to get some regression on that. And uh, I, uh, I'm i really, really excited for him, not just like as a Falcons fan, but as a fan of football. Uh, that's something that you should be rooting for if you really like to see great players kind of take that next step and become superstars. Charles McDonald of Underdog Fantasy and host of the Exempt List Pod. With us here on Spain and Fitz, you can follow him at 4Verts on Twitter. What are you looking for in terms of progress? So you mentioned Justin Fields. I know the Bears are going to be trash, and they haven't done anything to help Justin Fields, but I'm still going to be trying to see whether he takes meaningful steps forward because that's the most important thing to whether the Bears will be good eventually. You're not optimistic about this year for the Falcons, so what will you be watching for in various phases that will tell you they're at least headed in a direction where if they add some talent in the future and they really look to win and contend, they have a shot at it? Um, this is, I guess, kind of sp- specific, but I'm, I'm, I would like to see them have a cohesive plan for what they're trying to do with Kyle Pitts and Drake London because, honestly, I think when you kind of look at their skill sets and you watch Kyle Pitts play last year and what they're asking for from someone that big, like there's kind of a, a lot of overlap in the skill set, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but I don't know. I just want to see them have a plan for that because one of the confusing parts for me last year was <laughs> – you get down into the red zone, like the, the handful of times that you make it that far, and all of a sudden, like, number eight's off the field, and they, they're trying to – I think they're trying to, like, overthink it when you have – you have a cyborg right there. Just throwing the ball and see what happens. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of want to see a little bit more organization of that. Uh, and on the defensive side, just anyone that can get some pressure. I know that Gray Jarrett last year, he was out there fighting for his life, man, but they've, add, they've added some players. Uh, that might not be stars, but, you know, a good amount of depth up front. So if, if Dean Peace can kind of get some of those guys going, like Lorenzo Carter, Arnold Epicchetti, along with Grady Jarrett, you know, I, I think those are what you're kind of looking for. So on offense, we'll get some cohesion with Kyle Pitts and Drake London, see what we got there. And on defense, let's see if we can turn up some heat on the passer because you already have one of the best young cornerbacks in the NFL in Asia Terrell. But just imagine what he could do if, like, they had anyone that could get to the quarterback. So what is your prediction for this season? Uh, you know, I think, uh, well, here's what I want to happen. I want them to go like two and 15, beat the Saints <laughs> once, and but also have Marcus Mariota or Desmond Ritter play just well enough that you don't need to draft a quarterback next year. And you can use that first overall pick on Will Anderson from Alabama. That's what I want to happen. What I think will happen is, you know, they'll go like five and 12 and you have some good moments and down moments, but. Overall, I do expect this to be a better team than last year, even if they went fewer games, because I think the quality of the roster is a little bit better. Follow him on Twitter, at 4VertsCharles. Always appreciate you, man. Keep doing great work. And, uh, look, the hugs are here for you virtually whenever you need them, my friend. I don't want them. I want retribution. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, well, I, he's got me on that. I got nothing. Like, I got, I got absolutely nothing. Uh, be sure to check out the Exemplus pod also. Charles doing great work. Uh, I know a ton of Falcons fans, so I can already hear the angst from all of them. Luckily, many of them are also Georgia football fans, so uh, that's the one saving grace is that Georgia's got a shot at another national championship this year. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. All right, one of the best players of all time in the NFL made a bold statement today. Or did they only plant the seed for a conspiracy theory? We'll tell you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I'm currently trying to figure out if I'm going to get retweeted by Kevin Durant. Fingers and toes are crossed. Fingers and tingers, I guess I should say, since I revealed I mean, I tweeted him, but I don't think he's going to retweet me. I'm just saying. Uh, so Kevin Durant, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Before we get to what we were going to talk about, Kevin Durant just tweeted out, and I have to believe that this is related to the conversations going on on our air today about Kevin Durant to the heat. As we mentioned earlier, the media has been taken hostage by two men speaking to each other, which then resulted in everybody just talking about Kevin Durant to the heat all day, even though it doesn't seem remotely feasible. But there were questions about what it would mean for his legacy if he went to a heat team and joined a bunch of other stars instead of making it happen on his own. I have to imagine that his tweet just now was a response to those folks. He tweeted out, did you add to your legacy today? If so, what did you do? And some people have taken it seriously. Others have not. For instance, I accurately reported that I flicked a tick off my dog and murdered said tick, which I think is adding to my legacy and protecting my fur babies from the harmful effects of ticks. Thus you far, saved the life. You saved the I life. did. And I ended another one. But the tick deserved to be dead. In fact, I found that tick twice. I flicked it once. After I realized it was a tick, I was like, duh, why did I flick that? I should have killed it. And then it came back. Four hours later, and I was like, you again. I presume it was the same tick, and this time I murdered it. So, what if nothing it, what yet. What if it was multiple ticks, and now we have a tick issue with the Spain household? Uh, we might. We took our dogs okay. up to my parents' place in Michigan for the fourth, and even though I have poured over every inch of those dogs, even the inches that usually I try to just leave to them, uh, it's possible that some ticks were hiding and that they have emerged. And uh, And thankfully, none of them have been, you know, those kind that are like full of blood where they look like a giant big, you know, blood ball, which means they haven't gotten to them yet. Uh, but this tick uh, tried and failed and was murdered. Uh, Maggie Hendricks, one of my friends out here in Chicago who uh, covers stuff for Bally Sports, uh, she wrote, um, I emptied the dishwasher and he appreciated that. And he retweeted her and he wrote, great leadership, Maggie. You made everyone in the house better today, which adds to your legacy. Uh, meanwhile, unfortunately for Jake McGrady, He wrote, drank four and a half cups of coffee in two hours, and Katie said, that's not enough. Legacy points deducted. Uh, What we would like for you to do is get retweeted by KD. I want to see if you could pull it off. You get Spain and Fitz points. If you can respond to his question in a way that gets you retweeted by Kevin Durant. Uh, Fitz, you you responded, but you do not believe that you will be... Yeah, my response was I learned how to scoop my own poop into a test tube, a small tube for a fecal bacterial (laughs) test with a little uh, minions going poop alert. You know, Annabelle's got like a little stomach issue and turns out that there are chances where it could go back and forth. And so I had to go to a place. All of that in your tweet? 
That, well, I didn't tell him all that. I just told him that okay. I learned Can how to scuba dive. Can you be a little more clear about what was in the tweet and for a fecal bacteria test and a minion? Oh, That's okay. the end of my tweet. I just okay, thought you okay. know listeners might be concerned about my my poop scooping, so I was just letting everybody know that you know you got to make sure that things are right in the tum tums. And uh, you know they sent me home with a brown sack full of things for me to put my brown stuff in, and there we go. I just sounds redundant. So brown many sack for your brown stuff. Okay, so your dog has a parasite that it may have given to you, so you have to send a dog a human fecal sample to the vet or to your human vet to, i mean to the your human doctor, doctor. <laughs> to, to the human doctor but they don't let you do that at the doctor's office like i knew i was gonna have to do it this morning and i went in prepared i was thinking okay i'm just gonna walk into the bathroom and you know take care of things in the bathroom at the uh, diagnostic place and they were like oh no 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 you do that at home so they sent me home mm. with like this like this device that you put on your toilet so that you're going right in the cup and then like a bunch of sticks and a little tube and all sorts of things so yeah i had a real like harrowing moment today where i realized that life did not turn out my 40s the way i thought it would like that definitely was was that that happened but other than that it was good you know took it right back and uh had to look him back in the face coming back only a few minutes later knowing fully well that i just, just went happened. home and used this whole what, kit yeah that's, yeah oh, there we go. what it just happened that was my day uh, always uncomfortable uh so was that story uh it's Spain and fit sarah spain <laughs> jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 as i said bonus points spain and fitz points uh, if you can get Katie to retweet you. Now, moving on to what we were going to discuss, which I have a special soundtrack for, and it sounds like this. Mm. Yes. It is not about aliens. Although, those new pictures of the cosmos, I bet we could find some aliens in those pictures if we look hard enough, even though most of those stars and galaxies have been dead for billions of years. Uh, that's a conversation for another time, one that you're not interested in because when we got here today, you said, I don't really care about the stars. It's not going to affect yeah. my day-to-day. Meanwhile, it's, someone's like, life accomplishment yeah. that good. has changed, like, like it allowed us to view billions of years old things in our galaxy and our universe, and you're like, eh, what are you having for dinner? Yeah, um, like the reason I'm playing this music is because Rob Gronkowski announced his retirement a while back, and a lot of people... Gave it a little bit of notice, but wondered, is this real? And he has doubled down now. He was asked today, and he said he is focused on business ventures with his family. He was asked about Agent Drew Rosenau, saying it might be hard for him to turn down Tom Brady if Brady asked him to return. Gronk said that won't be happening. Quote, I wouldn't go back to football. No. All right, I guess it's done then, right, Fitz? That's it. End of conversation. No. I say no. I say that I have a source who told me months ago that if Rob Gronkowski were going to play this year, this was pre-Brady retirement, this was pre-Brady return, that regardless of what happened with Brady or anyone else, if Rob Gronkowski was going to return to play this season, he wouldn't show up till the end of camp. He's an old man. He doesn't want to do that stuff. In fact, we remember that during COVID, he did a bunch of his conditioning tests by just changing a shirt and then running it again the same day so he could take multiple days off and pretend like he did the workouts on different days, which by the way, <laughs> genius move, Grog. So he's not a guy who wants to show up and beat up his body for anything other than the glory of the game itself. He wants to show up on Sundays and help you get to a Super Bowl. And other than that, he's not interested. But if you're under contract and you're expected to be there and you don't show up, you can get fined. So by retiring, I don't have to be there for voluntary. I don't have to be there for mandatory. I don't have to be there for anything until I tell everybody I'm coming back. And I think that's what's happening. I am putting my name down on this in part because no one 
will hold me accountable if he never comes back because I am not Adam Schefter and nobody will clip this off, save it, except for Gail. Gail clips off all of our shows. So Gail, if this doesn't happen, feel free to accidentally delete this part of the show. But Fitz, yeah, I, mean, I think he's coming back. Look, I, I don't like conspiracy theories at all, but this one makes too much sense for me not to at least follow you down the yellow brick road on it. Like, if you're Gronk, you can say today, I have no intention of coming back, knowing full well that all you have to do is pick up the phone whenever you decide you are ready. So it serves everybody because if you're getting into business ventures with your family, you probably have a lot of capital venture capitalists that are uh, venture capitalists that are involved with you that are investing money. You want to make sure everybody feels good about those businesses. You want to make sure everybody feels good about what you're trying to do over here with this new life. And then as you get close to the season, you can just conveniently get that itch. Like this makes right. a lot of sense. You don't even need to do it like you can wait and see how things play out just you know wait all the way until i don't know week eight week nine and then say all right i'll get get myself a little bit of time to get into i mean this feels like it makes way too much sense right? not to be to to be real i'm with you on this one i'm in i'm in i mean besides my sources i also have the fact that i attended gronk's first retirement party humble brag hashtag humble brag in vegas uh and i haven't gotten an invite for retirement party number two so what? you know if this was really happening, don't you think there'd be more posts, more fanfare, more hullabaloo about the greatest tight end of all time potentially retiring? I say yes. So I say he'll be back. Clip this off. Hold me accountable. I dare you. Coming up, what lengths would you go to to retrieve your lost phone? A volcano involved? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Listen, there's some things we're going to need to talk about on the air here that have Fitz laughing like that. Uh, we got some good questions to ask all y'all about where you draw the line when it comes to retrieving your personal belongings. We'll get to that in a minute. We did not intend for this show to include so much conversation about number twos, but uh, sometimes it happens on a oh my God. Tuesday. Oh, my God. <laughs> you see what I did there? Yeah, I did. See? That was very yeah. good. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance There's some weird stories today, and we want to talk about them. Do they have to do with sports? Eh, One of them does, kind of. We don't care. That's not what's important. What's important is that you need to hear about the man who was on vacation and decided not to pay attention to the signs that surrounded him, warning him of grave danger, warning him of places he should not go. Where was this man, you ask? He was at Mount Vesuvius, and he and his fellow travelers decided to bypass a visitor's turnstile, go along an out-of-bounds path, ignore all of the signs that told them, turn back, don't go this way, this is terribly dangerous. You'll be not at all surprised to learn once he made it to the edge of Mount Vesuvius, he, of course, wanted to take a selfie on the 4,202-foot summit of the volcano, that has destroyed entire cities in the southern Italian city of Naples. He leaned over to take a selfie. His phone slipped out of his hand into the mouth of the volcano. And instead of saying, well, them's the breaks, this man climbed into the volcano and then lost his balance and then fell several meters into the volcano. Guides who were first on the scene used uh, uh, methods to pull him out. A mountain rescue helicopter was used to help with the rescue operation. 
All he got fits was cuts and bruises on his arm and back, but he might be leaving with another little take-home gift, which would probably be a ticket from a path that was clearly posted as being forbidden due to extreme danger. And also a story to let everyone around him know as soon as they hear it that he's a complete and utter moron. Yeah, that's the toughest part about how many times do you have to tell everybody, by the way, totally sports related, because I don't know, like last time I checked, uh, hiking and climbing is sports. Right, so right, right. There right. we go. So probably you know, took in my mind, he didn't to see, pull off the rescue. He didn't see the no, don't go past this signs because he probably had his head in his phone. Right. So he didn't, you know, just figuring he had the phone the whole way. I'm I'm imagining the process of having to tell everybody, why did you jump into the volcano? Well, I dropped my cell phone like that's just. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a line at some point where you say, okay, you know what? Cell phones are incredibly expensive. I know it. We all know it. And it's a pain in the butt paying for them. But there has to be a line where you're like, nah, I'm not going into a volcano for that. For sure. So I dropped my phone on the train tracks, the elevated tracks here in Chicago. And uh, there was no trains nearby. You could see it sitting there. Not quite within arm's reach. I would have needed to lower myself onto said tracks. And I've heard that story enough times, Fitz. You you hear about the literal third rail, not the figurative one, the Mm. literal third rail. And people next to me were like, it's right there. Get it. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not climbing into the train tracks. So we all watched as our train arrived and proceeded to run over my phone. Uh, And then when the train, I let the train go just to see, like, maybe it survived. It did not. But pieces of it had floated down to the street below. So I walked down. I grab one of my credit cards. <laughs> I grab <laughs> one of my IDs because I have one of those phones that has like a wallet on the back of it. Oh, and yeah. then I, I believe I've told this story before, but for those who don't remember, I was missing my driver's license. It had not floated down in the same area as the credit card I found. But a day later, a gentleman kindly messaged me on Facebook and said, I found your ID. I found you here on Facebook. If you've got an address or a place that you want me to send it, I'm happy to send it. So I had him send it to the uh, ESPN 1000 radio station that I was working at. Thank you so much. Is there anything I could do to thank you? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I see that you're a fairly well-known person with a big influence on social media. I have a group on coming up for my job, and if you could post about it for people to buy it, that would be great. Sure, absolutely. Go ahead and send it to me. Well, it was a group on to attend a um, uh, uh, a morgue where you could watch someone do, uh, what's that called when you look at a dead body and you decide what happened to it? Oh my God, I don't know. This is like, come on, just, uh, no. it's a, uh, uh, come on, uh, uh, embalming, but you do the other things and then An you- autopsy? You, Autopsy. Yes. Thank you. It was a group on to witness an autopsy and I guess learn how those go. And so I posted for this gentleman in case anyone wanted to go to his autopsy and purchase a group on as a thank you for fighting my ID. That is that is wild. I didn't know they did that where you can view an Nor autopsy. Did I. I feel like that's a, that's a little strange. It's I would very... imagine that you need approval from the corpse it or seems the corpse's like family. Very on the nose for watching like Dexter or something like that. But <laughs> right, it does exactly. It, it raises the question that everybody always like the, the the common question in friend groups like how far would you go to save your phone, Sarah? Like if you dropped your phone in the toilet, would you? Would you dig it out? And I think a lot of people would say, yeah, like, look, I've right. dropped my phone in the urinal tons right. of times. You take it out. That's no big deal. 
what got me going at the beginning of the hour, though, is I asked the question of our producer, Devin, would you, if you were talking about blue water, like a, we're talking about a porta potty and you mm. are in a porta potty and you drop it and you see your phone sink into the porta potty, would you go for it? Like for me, there's a line. Like if it's, if it's anything other than just on the surface, I'm probably, in fact, if it's in the porta potty, like toilet, I'm probably just letting it go. Like I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I'm going in there. Devin doubled down though, saying not only would he go for it, Devin, would you like to tell everybody how, how, how desperate you would be to get your phone? Listen, I need my phone. If it was like at the end of a th- the third day of a music festival, I'd probably oh, no. still do it. Oh, no. Yeah. That's what no! he said. That's what he, said he said if it was the, the third day of a music festival, I'd still dig in there and get it. Listen, I don't got money oh. like you. I can't just be getting new phones left and right. I mean, You don't have look. any sort of insurance or protection? Sorry we all don't have Grammys and stuff. So. Oh, well, you know, wow. Yeah, I can't make calls uh, with the Grammys. Okay, I don't have I a Grammy, just like, an Emmy, uh, two yes. Emmys and a Peabody. So, um, look at that. Yeah. Complex. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I, I'm um, just saying. Fitz, uh, that's funny that you mentioned that, because as we were talking about that at the commercial break, I actually began composing a poll uh, with just those questions. And the question that you will all be answering is, where do you draw the line? And I'm trying to word it. uh, Let me know if you think this sounds right. Select the option after which you would refuse to get your phone. So the last option that you would go in and get your phone, and the options are urinal. I think most people would say yes. Mm -hmm. Toilet. I think most people would say yes. Porta potty, I'm gonna go hard no unless you're Devin, and then volcano, which I'm gonna go <laughs> nobody, but that guy, the one guy who fell in the volcano. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll have you answer that question, but also the other weird story that I wanted to bring up that is sports related. I saw this yesterday. I couldn't believe it, but then again, uh, it's 100% believable. Understanding the internet, gambling, and sports. So. A group of farmhands and unemployed kids in a small town of India faked weeks of a Premier League Indian cricket competition for an audience of Russian gamblers. The quote-unquote season, this whole fake cricket season, made it all the way to the quarterfinals before police learned that the league was fake and busted off the fraud. But for weeks, Russian gamblers gave their money to the league watched live streams of matches and had no idea they were watching a bunch of random dudes playing fixed cricket. Yeah, so, the umpires even had walkie-talkies, right? So they could make sure that they knew how to make the outcome be what they needed to win the most money. Like, this is a wild scam. Yeah, they were given $5 U.S. to 400 rupees a game to play. They were given replica jerseys of real teams. And the umpires, believed to be the league organizers, used walkie-talkies to get updated information on where the betting action was coming from and then communicated with players on what to do to ensure that gamblers were losing. They streamed it on YouTube, and they even offered cricket seminars for Russian bettors to better understand the game before putting their money down. I just want to know how they figured it out. Which one of the hired fake players failed to properly act and convince that whatever they had just done was a natural part of the game and not something they had just been walkie-talking. Did someone put a finger to their ear? Uh, excuse me, sorry, say that again. I'm supposed to drop the ball? Oops. <laughs> like, I can't imagine, How did they find too, out? Like, the, the, when you think of the list of people you don't want to tick off in the world, 
I would think that Russian gamblers are probably like Russian gamblers uh, betting on cricket on the Internet seem like they'd be somewhere in the high end of that list. Like they're in the 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 absolute top shelf liquor uh, of the list of people you don't want to alienate and get mad at you. They went straight for it. So good on right. them for the con. But let's see how that plays right. out long. It's a toss up between Russian gamblers and the people who run the live golf tour. Yeah. For people, <laughs> right. I least am willing to try to scam out of their money or make angry in any way. Uh, also, maybe the guy who went in the volcano, because he seems to have a death wish, and I don't think he's worried about much, and those kind of people are scary to be around. Uh, answer our question about your phones, uh, and and we'll pay that off later. We'll let you know how many of you are willing to go in a volcano, or which is basically the same, a porta potty three days into a music fest for your phone. It's Spain and Fitz. They say the running back position is not important in the NFL anymore, but that's not going to stop us from discussing a list of the 10 best. It's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. Hashtag humble brag. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. I promise for the next several minutes, there won't be any reference to anything that's a number two. That's all I can promise right now for the way this show is going. Sorry, so far I hate to interrupt you, night. but we're talking about Dan Snyder this segment. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> that's that's what we like to call the alley oop. Uh, set it up. She dunked it. Thank it was you. perfectly done. Thank you. Uh, we, we'll start there actually. Before we get to the running backs uh, across the NFL, uh, there was some news for the Washington Commanders. The House Committee uh, has accepted Washington Commanders owner Dan Snyder's offer to testify, but there's a caveat to every that everybody needs to know. They will only uh, do this under subpoena. So remember that at first he was invited and then subpoenaed. Uh, the difference, and this is a pretty substantial difference, that under a subpoena, the testimony would be full and complete and will not be restricted in the way it would be if a de- deposition were conducted voluntarily, meaning that he could essentially choose not to answer some questions if he was just invited. They're not going to let him do that anymore. They have become adamant that he can only he will be expected to testify, but it will be under a subpoena, so they want the ability to force him to answer questions. Sarah, I think that's pretty substantial. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that they would disagree on testimony terms. He doesn't want to, you know, implicate himself and his team, and they want to force him into honesty. And the idea about the NDAs being the stopping point for so much of getting to the truth of what went on and still continues to go on at that team is the thing that most frustrates us and, and, and Congress. And that's why they're truly attempting to change laws around NDA. So the idea that he could cite the very problem that stands in the way of these employees getting out the truth in order to protect himself as well. Nah, that's not going to be worth doing. You can't have a conversation with him about the issues of this team and allow him to essentially avoid honesty and truth. And that's why I don't know how this is ever going to go down because it feels inevitable that Dan Snyder will implicate himself and others and the team and the NFL if he answers anything with any honesty. Yeah, that the the other wild part about this is Congress draws a real line in the sand in, hey, you tried to mess with us, so now we will accept nothing less than exactly what we want. I mean, there's an, a level of agitation to this and aggression from this from Congress that's going to be hard for anybody, but it, particularly for Dan Snyder to sidestep in it. So uh, this be, this continues the 
worst situations possible, I think, for the league is that they don't want I, – I, I, you put true serum in everybody here. I think the league just wants us to go away. And the more that you hear the word subpoena, the more you realize that none of this mm-hmm. is going to go away. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Also, things that don't go away this time of year are lists. We've got a new one. Again, Jeremy Fowler just the person that puts them out. He's not the person that actually creates them. They survey scouts. Uh, executives, coaches, and players to come up with a list of the 10 best at every position. And today's list is for running backs. Now, there's not a lot that's particularly surprising, I think, on this list, Sarah, but uh, the the list for anyone that hasn't seen it, you should check it out on ESPN.com. does have Derrick Henry of the Titans still at number one, Jonathan Taylor of the Colts at two, Nick Chubb from the Browns three, Dalvin Cook at four, Alvin Kamara at five. I'll stop there just for the point of discussion, but Sarah, it's it's amazing because every one of those are dominant running backs, but also I'd make the argument that every one of their teams are not in the Super Bowl conversation without their quarterback playing really well, and it reminds you that a great running back makes you competitive but doesn't make you great. Also, I feel like, can you name a position where the ability of the player is most affected by the players around them more so than the running back? I think there are probably some tremendous running backs who have terrible offensive lines, bad offensive coordinators, ineffective quarterbacks, wide receiver core that doesn't have anybody fooled, and their performance is going to reflect that. And then there are guys who probably aren't even that great. You put them in the right system, and they are racking up the yards. And that's why our conversations about running backs have changed over the years, because there's a feeling that while there are some cream-of-the-crop top-line guys who make good even on a bad situation – there is also much less of a gap between those guys and the ones who are pretty good that you could drop them into the same system and they get get good numbers. Yeah, you're a thousand percent right. And, you know, I keep thinking about just what we expect from certain teams in the NFL this year. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, they've got a great offensive line. There's some really good weapons. I don't think Matt Ryan's played with this amount of talent in front of him in a very long time. So maybe that makes Jonathan Taylor one of the best running backs in the league uh, this year. I think he's poised to have an absolutely incredible year. Uh, the the flip side of that is Derrick Henry. His job gets much tougher this year, to your point. You know, with A.J. Brown gone, uh, wide receiver for the Titans, now all of a sudden the Titans become a little easier to defend, and I think that's going to make Derrick Henry's job even more difficult. So you're right. You can have absolute the, the best of the best, uh, the greatest of the greatest. There still have to be enough things around them that break right or that is good for that to result in Super Bowls. That's why I look at Nick Chubb with the Browns like, Uh, Are we going to have two different evaluations of Nick Chubb, the evaluation without Deshaun Watson and the evaluation with him? Because that's going to be a real difference for him and his production this year. Yeah, 100%. And I think there are guys on this list that have major question marks like Christian McCaffrey um, who can't stay healthy. He can be fantastic when he's good. He has a massive effect on that team's success, their offensive efficiency when he's good. But – how do you know who's showing up? Um, so, uh, you know, there's questions about Aaron Jones with the Packers. I think, you know, I'm I'm surprised that, frankly, we didn't see um, some other guys on there. And I think it's because the expectations for the team are so bad. David Montgomery, to me, is a guy that could make that list. I think he's got a massive opportunity ahead of him, especially as this team continues to try to make things a little easier on Justin Fields. Um Maybe maybe it's, you know, bias for me, but um, I'm surprised he didn't at least make honorable mention. 
Yeah, I, I look at that on our bull mention list, too. And I, I like I, I think Austin Eckler is really low on this list. Somebody that uh, does so much for the Chargers and the Chargers are so stinking talented this year. I, I was a little surprised to see somebody like Christian McCaffrey that you mentioned that has had health issues above a guy like Austin Eckler even. And you see Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Zeke's in the honorable mention department also for the Cowboys, which is just a reminder with Zeke and Saquon both in the honorable mention department that the the narrative on these guys changes so quickly. It's just it, it it's not a new concept that running back is a risk, but my God, when you look at this list, it tells you how year in and year out some of that risk is. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, speaking of, we were talking about uh, the Falcons earlier in the show, and next up we're going to talk Vikings. So I'm going to throw some social media asks out on Twitter. Records for both teams in the regular season. What do we think Cousins' future looks like? Is Mariota going to get the job and keep it? We'll see what everybody thinks. Yeah, we'll get all you uh, all y'all's thoughts. I'm going to go full Southern. <laughs> uh, we'll get all y'all's thoughts on that. And, of course, two-a-days are going to keep rolling on. So, like Sarah mentioned, let's break down the Vikings next. Are they actually contenders? We'll ask our next guest. It's Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, two days. We're getting you caught up on everything you need to know, getting ready for training camp across the NFL. And today, we, uh, we've already taken a look uh, at one team. Now we will take a look at another. We already went through the Falcons. We will go to the Vikings now. And to do that, senior writer for The Athletic covering the Vikings, John Krasinski, joins us. John Thanks so much. You just heard the rejoin. Everybody always, like, it's like a contractual obligation. You can't talk about the Vikings without first talking about the amount of money Kirk Cousins has made. So if we take all that aside and just for one moment forget the cash, is Kirk Cousins the type of quarterback, money aside, that can win a Super Bowl with the Vikings? Well, I mean, that's a kind of a tall order so far. What we've seen to this point is that he hasn't been yet. Now, I think that there are good reasons for that beyond just what Kirk Cousins can or cannot do. But I think so far what we have seen from Kirk Cousins as a quarterback is that he is a kind of quarterback that needs great people around him, great weapons, great protection, needs an ideal scenario for things to work uh, to the optimal standpoint. He is not or has not yet shown to be the kind of quarterback like a Josh Allen, like a Patrick Mahomes, like an Aaron Rodgers that raises the level of his teammates around him. And so this is going to be a big season for him to try and show that uh, they can move beyond the Mike Zimmer uh, way of doing things to a different style that maybe fits him a little bit better. But to this point in his career, he has not been that guy to, uh, to give fans the total faith that he can lead them to a Super Bowl. They, he has to show it first, for, I think, for people to really believe that he can do it. John, the mystery around Kirk Cousins is that numbers-wise, he always looks pretty good, but it doesn't translate to anything worthwhile. Where do you point the finger there? Is he not good enough to elevate his team, or is the team not good enough to take advantage of an above-average quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I I don't want to straddle the fence here, Sarah, but, like, uh, when you look at it, at least his tenure in Minnesota, um, there have been things that you can put on Kirk Cousins' shoulders, his inability to really kind of take chances and, and let's say, throw receivers open like some of the great quarterbacks out there. But also, he has been kind of hamstrung by a very leaky offensive line, especially the interior of the offensive line. So he hasn't had great protection 
for very often. Um, but uh, but what he so what the Vikings have tried to do over the last year and a half or so is upgrade his protection because they believe that when you get him time to throw, he has uh, uh, an elite arm and he can get the ball down the field. He can get, he can get it to the edges and do all of those things. But as far as having a quarterback who can make chicken salad out of chicken bleep, um, he's mm-hmm. not that guy yet. He has not proven to be that guy. He needs perfect, uh, a perfect setting around him so he can cut loose down the field. He can take advantage of his weapon. Um, and so I think it's, it's most, is it mostly on Kirk Cousins' shoulders. You pay the quarterback all this money to make an offense better. But knowing what kind of quarterback he is, I think the Vikings could have done a better job to this point of addressing the offensive line and getting him better protection because he's just a quarterback who really needs that. We're talking to John Krasinski, a senior writer for The Athletic, covering the Vikings, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, John, uh, if we were playing Madden, the, uh, the talent on offense is absolutely incredible. We know that. There are a lot of players at skill position that can be great. Kevin O'Connell comes over from the Rams as a Super Bowl-winning offensive coordinator. So what difference does he make to this offense? I think, I mean, I think beyond, let's go just beyond the X's and O's for a second and look bigger picture here at what the Vikings needed from their leadership group. Mike Zimmer had a lot of success with the Vikings and and you know, got to the playoffs, won a game or two here or there in the playoffs, but wasn't able to get quite over the hump. In the last couple of seasons that both he and general manager Rick Spielman were in power and leading the way in Minnesota, it really got to be a tense atmosphere. Mike Zimmer was a my way or the highway type of a coach. He cycled through offensive coordinators like they were candy on Halloween. And so um, I think what Kevin O'Connell can do most of all is provide some stability to the offensive side. Kirk Cousins has had a ton of offensive coordinators to go through, a ton of different uh, verbiage and system and 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 Mike Zimmer, while being a defensive coordinator, a defensive specialist, really had his thumb on the scale of the offense as well, and wanted to stick to the running game, really heavy-handed, don't make big mistakes. And I think Kevin O'Connell is going to come in with a much lighter personality and a and a and a more empowering type of a of a move uh, or of an approach. And I think that's what Kirk Cousins needed. I think he got to a point where he was second-guessing himself. He was not feeling like he had the support of the coaching staff. And I think you know there will be schematic adjustments and tweaks and, and things of that nature. But by and large, what this leadership group needed and what these players needed was an attitude adjustment from the leadership. And I think they're getting that both with Kevin O'Connell and uh, the new GM, Quasi Adolfo Mensa. In Spain and Fitz, we're talking to John Krasinski, senior writer for The Athletic, covering the Vikings. You can follow him at John Krasinski, but only if you could figure out how to spell it. W-C-Z-Y is a hint for you. Uh, I'm curious because nationally, we're kind of used to clowning Kirk Cousins while still simultaneously saying that his numbers are decent. But that comes down to the you know, um, failure to produce at, at, at you know premier level games, uh, games that everybody's eyeballs are on, playoffs. Um, what's the local response? Is there a call for something new? Is there a call for better support of him? Locally, are are the Vikings hearing it for not living up to the amount of money they've invested in this era? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kirk Cousins is under the microscope right now locally. I think that he is, you know, you you see around the league, wherever you go, the quarterback is the topic of conversation everywhere. And often the backup quarterback is the most popular guy on the team when you you don't have an all pro type of a gunslinger back there. But um, what's going on right now with Kirk Cousins is he doesn't have a backup worth anything right now. So it's really just all on him to get better and to deliver. And so I do think there's a lot of fan angst. They want more from Kirk Cousins. He's making all of this money. And he has Adam Thielen, and he has Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. And he has some really good offensive skill position players around him. And, you know, he's been good and okay, but they, they want better from that. They want the Vikings to be in the mix in the playoffs and winning games in the playoffs. And so far that just has not been the case. Now, I think the defense has to get better to help Kirk Cousins. The offensive line has to get better to help Kirk Cousins. But, hey, he makes all of that money. He's got to shoulder a lot of the blame and the burden. That's just the nature of it. And some of it might be a little bit unfair, but a lot of it is fair. He's got to make the adjustments. He's got to uh, use his physical talents and make good decisions. And he's got to just make things happen for him and uh, for this team and to just like get things going in the right direction. John, I uh, drafting uh, is always an inexact science, but seeing uh, Booth, uh, they they have a bunch of draft picks. I really like the draft for the Vikings this year. What rookies do you think have a chance to make an immediate impact? Yeah, I really want to see Lewisine a lot um, because I think that you know he comes from an absolutely elite defense um, at Georgia, and you can just like you can grab anyone from that group and stick them in. Um, in there, in there, and see what they. And I think they can translate very, very well. Um, one of the things that uh, that Lewisine does really well is he's a big hitter and he's dynamic. And this defense absolutely needs um, playmakers. They need um, adjustments from. A, they need to get younger. Um, they need Harris Smith needs help on the back end, and he's going to have to be really, really good because their their defensive backs, their cornerbacks, frankly, are very unproven. So I do not, you know, I want to see how him step in, get a starting job, and really be dynamic. They they made a big trade in the first round to move down to get him, and so I do think that he's got a lot to prove for this um, this defense that that really needs to be better. I mean, secret, you know, Kirk Cousins gets all of the blame, but uh, but the, the dirty little secret here is this Vikings defense has taken some major steps back the last couple of years. Some of it's been injuries. Some of it's been aged, but they have to get a whole lot better to give this team a little more balance. John, as always, we appreciate your time. Got a, a number of wins this year. Got a prediction for us? You know, I, I, I just like I, I, they feel like a nine-win team again. I know that they, you know, they they're they're going to get uh, some some boost from I think a, a new coach and a new approach that way, and and the and the players are going to benefit from that. But I still don't think they made enough talent upgrades to really help them to get over the hump and, and crack 10, 11, 12 wins. So I, I just think that this team needs some more talent first. And and so I, I'm going to put them at nine right now. And and you know, maybe they could get 10 if things broke the right way, but that's what they are right now from a talent standpoint. Read them on The Athletic. Follow them on Twitter at John Krasinski. John, appreciate your time and your expertise, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Don't forget the road to the rematches on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunez go head-to-head as coaches 
on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Uh, look, KD is trolling us all, and there's one outcome that maybe we're not talking enough about with his relationship with Brooklyn. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. A lot of you are willing to put an arm into poop for your phones. And I think that says a lot about how expensive our phones are and how much we need them and want them and care about them and think of them not as a tool to aid us, but a companion. And that's a conversation for another time. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, The reason we asked just what lengths, quite literally, of your arm into poop that you were willing to go to get your phone is because a gentleman... I guess gentleman's probably not the right word. A bruh was hiking Mount Vesuvius, decided to ignore signs uh, that prevented him from following a particular path, got to the edge of Mount Vesuvius, tried to take a selfie, obvi, and fell uh, in after dropping his phone and trying to go get it, obvi. He had to be uh, rescued by helicopter, and that led us to asking you, where do you draw the line? You dropped your phone in a urinal. Is that, is that somewhere you'd go get it? A toilet. What if we upgraded to a porta potty? Finally, a volcano. We asked you which is the last of those options that you would still go in and get your phone. The last option that you would go in. Only 8.3% said urinal, which means many of you were willing to go into a toilet. 24.8% of you said toilet, which means more than half of you were willing to go into a porta potty. 48.4 48.4 folks said, porta potty is where I end. I will not go into a volcano. But 18.5% of you said a volcano. <laughs> I don't know if I trust that that's a correct number. Yeah, I don't know I, if I believe that 18.5% of you would go into a volcano and beyond. This feels like one of those prove it, like name that tune sort of things. <laughs> All right, like go ahead, go to the volcano's edge. I think also the porta potty just comes down to like, if I'm if I'm looking at a toilet, then I realize that whatever happened in that toilet is my responsibility. It makes it a little uh, easier to feel uh-huh. like I need to dive so into own. that to get my yeah, phone. Your poop don't stink right, versus someone right. else's. But if yeah. like, but if I'm going into somebody else's responsibility, now I'm like, I don't know how I feel mm. about that. Like mm-hmm. that, that's, that's particularly that's, gross. That, well, you're welcome, America. That's what we're here to do. <laughs> Stephen uh, Stephen Frymer said, wife dropped a brand new 12 Pro Max. In a porta potty headed into a Panthers game, no insurance, about a cool 2600 gone. And instead of people saying, sorry, man, that's terrible, that's unfortunate, everyone in the mentions is just arguing with him about whether it's 2600 gone or only 1300 the cost of the first phone, but then the second. Was there insurance? Is it really gone or do you still have the second phone? That's not the point, people. There's a phone in the porta potty at a Panthers that, game. Fr- that thread is the worst of tw- of Twitter right it there. Is. Like somebody comes out like, and we're like, well, actually, actually, guys, uh, you know what? You only it's like, you know, his bank account feels twenty six hundred bucks lighter. I don't really yeah. care how it got there. Like, let's just right. give the guy some great, right. you know, some credit. Exactly. Lay off him. Uh, we also asked you for your take on the Falcons and uh, and the Vikings. These are the two teams in our two a days as we continue that leading up to NFL camp starting. Um, we asked you how many regular season games the Vikings will win. 7.3% said 0 to 4. 40.9% said 5 to 7. 48.6 had a little more faith, said 8 to 10. 3.1% of you said 11 plus wins. 
We also asked about Kirk Cousins contractually tied to the Vikings through the end of the 23-24 season. How many more years will he be the starting QB? 69, nice point three, through the end of the 23 season. 17.7 believe there'll be another contract. It'll be through the end of 24-25. 12.7% say three more years plus for Kirk Cousins. We also asked about the Falcons. 28.3% of you say they'll win zero to three games. 62.5 say four to six. 7.6 say seven to nine. And 1.7 say 10 plus games. Also asked about Marcus Mariota as the starting quarterback for the Falcons. 62.3% said he won't finish this season as the starting quarterback. 30.5% said through the end of this season. And 7.1% said this season and beyond. A very much of a transition year for the Falcons, it feels like, Fitz. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that's there's got to be a long-term plan in place. And the only thing that I fear for all of that is that Arthur Smith has got to be the coach that makes it through this long-term plan. That's always the weird part about it. So mm-hmm. organizationally, I think they take a step back this year because of the quarterback situation. But if they find their quarterback throughout this year or they put themselves in a better situation to find their quarterback next year, then maybe that's the uh, the great hope they, they want. I just don't want to see Arthur Smith uh, desperate for a job or, or looking for a job, I should say, in a year because of the plan that was enacted this offseason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the unfortunate thing about getting opportunities on a team in a transition period or a rebuild or one that flat out stinks is how do you prove that you're making the right moves to get to where you want to go and how do you make it so that you get to stick around when the team gets to a better place? Uh, That's complicated in every sport, particularly NFL. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We were also talking about Kevin Durant earlier, and there was some sound I wanted to play because we talked about – Kendrick Perkins suggesting that perhaps KD didn't want to leave Brooklyn. He was using the trade threat in order to get the Nets to commit to Kyrie long-term. Now, I don't think that's true. Brian Windhorst doesn't believe that he would tie the last best years of his career to Kyrie and getting him his money. But there are some conversations about whether he might stick around. Dave McMenamin, ESPN NBA reporter, was on NBA Today talking about the chance that both guys return to Brooklyn. They are waiting to see if Brooklyn will, in fact, decide to try to bring both those guys back. And, and the thing I learned in reporting the last couple of days in Vegas is that it seems to be the summation of the Nets thinking is that Kevin Durant made a decision to ask for this trade at a time where emotions were running high, uh-huh. seeing his former team, the Warriors, win a championship, and perhaps with the passage of time, He'd want to come back to the fold, and they're not going to make a move like trading Kyrie Irving until they hear it from the horse's mouth and they get a clear message from Kevin Durant what his intentions are moving forward. Mm -hmm. Because, quite frankly, if they were to move Kyrie, that could be the thing that triggers KD to say, I definitely want out. Uh, Maybe they could convince everyone involved that let's give this another shot. Right. So there's that. And then... Quickly, Nick Friedel on KJ and Max. I can see Kevin coming back, going through training camp, starting the season. I cannot see Kyrie doing the same, and I can't see the Nets wanting that to happen. I think that relationship has run its course. So that's the part. Everybody keeps saying Kevin would have to go first, then Kyrie. I agree with that to this point, though. At some point, not bringing Kyrie back is probably better for all involved when the season gets up and running. And in that case, maybe you would have to move him if you haven't gotten this KD deal finished yet. 
Fitz, I get the feeling we're going to be talking about this for a while longer. No, just this is why I drink. He's not going anywhere. This, we're all going to end up looking around saying, what? That's, he's just going to be still in Brooklyn. This is what's going to happen. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.